Workplace violence against nurses occurs at an unacceptable rate in many healthcare settings. Over 200,000 assaults take place on hospital workers annually. Yet research and personal experience tells us many more stories of violence go untold. How can individuals and healthcare facilities address and prevent workplace violence against nurses? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guests are Dr. Diana Mason, registered nurse and editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Nursing, and Charlene Richardson, registered nurse and advocate for workplace safety. Welcome, Dr. Mason and Ms. Richardson. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we're discussing workplace safety for nurses in healthcare settings. Ms. Richardson, let's talk a little bit about nurses. Are they aware of the problem of workplace violence when they go into the profession? When they go into the profession, I don't believe they are, although that seems to be coming alive with all the education that is out there. So, Dr. Mason, do you feel that workplace violence is deterring any nurses from entering the profession at this point? I don't think it's deterring them from entering, but it is a factor in retaining nurses. And I like to give the analogy of a revolving door. If we're concerned about the nursing shortage, we can never produce enough nurses if we don't stop the revolving door. And that means fixing the work environments, whether through better staffing, whether through reduce, doing what's necessary to reduce workplace violence, whether to improve nurse-physician communications, whatever it is, we need to do what's necessary to stop that nurses from leaving before they are retiring. Ms. Richardson, from a personal level for a nurse, are there safety tips that you might recommend to, to try to prevent workplace violence? I think the training that we can get with regard to management of aggressive behavior and de-escalation techniques is very important. I think nurses need to practice with extreme caution no matter where they work. And I think that this is something that it's a problem that people don't like to look at because it's ugly, but it's it's real and we need to look it in its ugly face and deal with it. And it's not an easy thing to do in this profession because we're committed to safe patient care and that commitment leaves us very, very vulnerable. Um, One list of guidelines that I saw, Dr. Mason, included such tips as don't carry keys or pens that could be used as a weapon. Don't wear something around your neck that could turn out being a weapon. Only put your first name on a name tag. Use a buddy system. How practical do you think these things are and do they work? I don't think they're very practical in most situations. I think what Charlene Richardson was just saying is much more important in terms of nurses learning techniques around de-escalating abusive situations. How to identify patients who are at risk of abusive behavior or violence and how to try to minimize the likelihood that violence will occur. I want to make a couple other points. One is this also does happen in home care and I do think there are things that home care agencies have done to reduce the likelihood that nurses will be targets of violence in communities. And they've done things like changing the requirement that the nurse wear a uniform and that the nurse carry a bag that's identifiable as a nurse's bag because people often think that you have drugs in there when you don't. Even things like what kind of a car you're driving. And some agencies are actually hiring security people to go with the nurses in high crime areas. So there are steps that that certainly home care agencies have been taking because the nurses out there usually on his or her own. But when you're talking about a hospital, you're talking about an environment that is not just that individual nurse's responsibility. And while 
what the individual nurse does is important, and I think every nurse needs to take responsibility for what kind of workplace they work in and how to pay attention to violence and try to prevent it. It really has to be with the full support of the hospital. I think there are things individual nurses can do, but only they're not going to get the effectiveness, full effectiveness of the kind of preventive and management techniques that can be put into place unless they have the full hospital support. So administrators need to take this matter quite seriously and see it as a responsibility of theirs as the employer and as the responsible party for a safe work environment. Once an actual violent act has occurred, is there a procedure in place, Ms. Richardson, for reporting the incident? Who is supposed to be doing this reporting? The employee reports the incident to the employer, and there is supposed to be sort of like an algorithm, for lack of a better word, that the employer goes down, you know, with regard to critical stress, incident debriefing, and all that. However, my experience is that it's on paper, but it doesn't actually take place. Why do you feel that a lot of reporting is, is going missed? The employee feels bullied. First of all, there's this misconception we discussed with regard to assault as part of the job, and the employer is afraid of the bad publicity. So they will do anything, in my experience, to try to make the incident go away and to quiet the employee. And if I could add to that, the you know, 15 years ago, when I was working in a hospital in New York City, there was a report of an incident of a surgeon actually throwing instruments at a nurse. And when I confronted the clinical director of nursing in the OR with the issue and said, we cannot tolerate that, she said to me, Diana, have you ever been an OR nurse? And I said, no. And she said, well, that, you just don't understand our culture. She said, this is the OR. And so there has been this attitude that it's okay. And if the nurse did the reporting, now this is, I don't have experience with a nurse reporting violence by a, a patient and having administration not act, but in, in the case of, of a physician being the perpetrator of the violence, then the administration is, historically has looked the other way because the physician admits patients and is a source of revenue for the hospital. I think that is starting to shift, and certainly within the VHA system, the used to be Voluntary Hospital Association Network, there is a CEO of a hospital who has started a zero tolerance of abusive behavior policy that every single person in the hospital must sign. Now, obviously, if you're a patient, you're not signing this when you come in. So it doesn't deal with patients and families. But it does deal with the issue of that Charlene raised of horizontal or lateral violence within the workplace. And people sign this code of conduct saying, if I am abusive the first time, I will be counseled. The second time, I will be dismissed. And they are dismissing even the revenue-generating physicians who continue to be abusive. So it's really having somebody at the top saying, we need a respectful environment, and I'm holding everybody to this expectation. And since patients tend to be committing the bulk of these assaults, um, a code of conduct for patients might not be such a bad idea either. And in some institutions, they're starting to post signs saying no violence tolerated, and particularly in environments like an emergency department. Sounds like a good start. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy, on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guests are Dr. Diana Mason, registered nurse and editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Nursing, and Charlotte 
Charlene Richardson, registered nurse and advocate for workplace safety. Now, Ms. Richardson, if a nurse is a victim of workplace violence, how can coworkers provide some support for them? How should coworkers respond? The way that coworkers need to respond is as you would respond to any patient who signs in who's been a victim of violence, no matter what that level of violence is. It is so important because you can re-injure the victim, whether it's a domestic violence incident. How you approach that person, you can definitely re-injure the victim, and you re-victimize them. And I have experienced that firsthand, and it's very painful, so I'm very sensitive to that. It's, you know, made me a better nurse today. Now, Ms. Richardson, you were talking earlier about critical incident stress debriefing and just some kind of follow-up to the incident. Other than physical injuries, are there maybe some emotional or psychological symptoms that might be seen in a victim of violence? Absolutely. The post-effects of any type of violent incident, be it verbal, physical, can come with a range of symptoms and a level of injury to include, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. They are victims and they need to be treated as such. Dr. Mason, anything to add regarding critical incident stress that might follow such incidents? This is related, but I want to just point out that one of the problems that we as nurses deal with, and while we're talking about physical violence, I think we need to remember that violence also can be emotional. And nursing is notorious for for this lateral violence, this bullying. And it's a huge problem. It's a problem that exists particularly for new nurses. They are leaving in droves. They won't put up with what some of us put up with years ago. And so there are a number of efforts going on to try to raise nurses' awareness about how to stop the bullying behavior, how to name it when you see it, and again, trying to create a workplace that says, we are a place of respect, mutual respect for everybody, and we don't put up with violence and abuse from anyone. And it has to start, I think, with the frontline workers, with administration. It's almost like cleaning up your own house before you can start expecting that stressed patient and family to show the same kind of respect. So I would hope that listeners who are healthcare professionals would take a look at their own environment and say, to what extent do we have a respectful environment where I work? How much abusive behavior goes on, whether it's physical or emotional, and what can we do to stop it? Ms. Richardson, do you feel that this decreased morale in nursing is getting better or worse, and is there hope for improvement? I think with regard to that the unsafe staffing situation continues to sit at the legislature and goes nowhere is just decreasing the morale and the conditions are worsening. They're not going to get any better. We have given the solution to this problem and it's met with, you know, it falls upon deaf ears. It's very, very frustrating. So I think the morale decreases. And the situation is just going to continue to get worse and deteriorate. I'd like to add another perspective to that, though, if I might. I think that what Charlene often sees are hospitals that are at one end of a spectrum. We do have some top-performing hospitals that get it. 
and have shown that we can do the right thing with workplace issues that will recruit and retain highly qualified nurses, that will recruit and retain the best of physicians, and where we'll have really good respectful communications, where we don't have a high rate of violence from family and patients because we really are able to attend to their needs. And in these hospitals, nurses are rising to the occasion and taking responsibility for being change agents on their units. There's a project called TCAB, Transforming Care at the Bedside, that's been funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and it's looking at how to empower nurses and other frontline staff to be the key change agents, to make the changes on the unit that they know will improve care, will improve teamwork, will reduce variability in care and errors. And so I think what we have to do is shine a spotlight on those hospitals that are doing that kind of work to say, hey, you other hospitals, it doesn't have to be that way. There are too many hospitals out there that just aren't doing the right thing when we have evidence to show here is what works. Here is how to reduce violence. Here is how to retain highly qualified professionals and how to improve the care the patients receive and safely. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Diana Mason and Charlene Richardson. We've been discussing workplace safety for nurses in healthcare settings. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment focused on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157, and thank you for listening.